to all places together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. We're at the table with Jesus. This week's story is called Crumbs. I am much better at preparing, cooking, and serving meals than I am at cleaning them up. Oh, I'm good at eating meals too. It's the cleanup part that's hard for me. When I'm done eating, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Whether that is work or play, I put my plate in the sink or on the counter and I'm ready to move on. However, since becoming a dog mom five years ago now, I do try to clean up a little bit more than I used to directly after the meal. This is especially important if we have leftovers. Our dog Luna has stolen entire pieces of pizza, half sticks of butter, and even a chicken carcass from the counter that we had to wrestle out of her mouth. She will eat the crumbs off the floor, but if she can get something more, She will. Of course, dogs scouting out for dinner scraps is no new thing. Though many dogs of the 21st century enjoy a pampered existence beyond their ancestors' wildest dreamings, dogs have been a part of human households for centuries. They may help with shepherding, hunting, or other tasks. And they often ate what was left over. Now, I don't know if Jesus' family ever had a dog, but he knew enough dogs to use their behavior as a teaching moment. But don't get too excited. It's not a heartwarming puppy love sort of moment. It's actually quite a hard moment. It's a quite shocking moment. It's a moment that changes Jesus's mission and ministry. This week we'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, the oldest of the four Gospels and the one that moves the fastest. Remember, Mark is all, and then, or immediately following that. But what I really need you to know to understand this story today is that so far in Mark, Jesus has only been focused on reaching out to Jewish people in Jewish areas. It's all controlled by the Roman Empire, but the people he is talking with, preaching to, healing, and fighting with are all within the same cultural group, his cultural group. The Jewish people. So far, Mark doesn't tell us about any interactions with any other people. Right before this section I'll read, Jesus gets into a debate with some other Jewish folks, the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders that are very focused on fulfilling the law to be in right and good relationship with God. Jesus and the Pharisees were fighting about the law and Jesus's reinterpretation of it. In particular, they are fighting about a tradition of ritually cleaning hands before eating. Jesus and his disciples don't follow this tradition, and the Pharisees are concerned. Jesus ends up saying that the things that come from the outside don't make us unclean. It's instead what comes from inside our own hearts that we need to worry about. And it turns out that Jesus has some worrying to do too, because this is what happens next. I'm reading Mark chapter 7, verses 24 from 30 from the New Revised Standard Version. 
From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take from the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Let's begin unpacking this passage with working to understand a few words. There's a few words here that need to be clarified. In the Bible, a Gentile is a word to describe a person who is not Jewish. Gentile may be used in different ways in the modern era, but for Jesus and his contemporaries, Gentile is someone who is outside of the Jewish faith. Syrophoenician is identifying the woman's place of residence, Phoenicia, which is in the province of Syria. This means that she is not of the same culture or nationality as Jesus. Additionally, at the time, children were treated as property of their parents, and they were seen to have their value in working, contributing to the family, and then eventually growing up to provide for the family, either through their work or their marriage. Finally, being possessed by a demon makes a person ritually unclean in terms of Jewish law. So there are five, count them, five big red flags for this woman in terms of her approaching a Jewish rabbi for assistance. One, she's a different faith. Two, she's from a different place. Three, she's a woman. Four, she's coming to Jesus with concerns about her daughter, who is also a woman. And five, the daughter has a demon. It's a lot of red flags. And the honest truth is that Jesus does not respond kindly. In fact, Jesus responds with a racist slur. Calling someone a dog was a racist slur during Jesus' time. Many theologians, preachers, and Christians try to rationalize this truth and do all sorts of linguistic gymnastics to try to preserve their belief of Jesus being sinless. Like, Jesus couldn't have said this hateful thing, and they make up all of these rationales to explain it. However, Jesus being sinless is not central to my faith, nor my understanding of Jesus's saving action on earth. So I'm not going to do those gymnastics, and I'm not going to engage with that particular interpretation. However, we are going to keep going into a different interpretation. You see, the metaphor behind this statement is that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi who had been focused on reinterpreting the Jewish faith, like this conversation that he had been having with the Pharisees earlier before this reading. And again, up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has no interactions with Gentiles. All of the healing, miracles, and preaching were with and for the Jewish community. 
So this phrase that Jesus says to this woman is that my ministry and my miracles aren't for you. You aren't Jewish. You are not my concern. And he says this in a very mean and derogatory way. The woman responds to Jesus with this phrase, the dogs get the crumbs from under the table. In a way, she reclaims the slur and continues the metaphor. She is asserting something that she sees in Jesus that he does not yet seem to understand for himself, or perhaps something that he wasn't quite ready to do this, which is the expanding of his ministry and miracles. She is convinced that Jesus is actually for the whole world, for all people in all places, not just the Jewish people. Jesus hears her, he listens, and seemingly within a split second, he comes to agree with her. Jesus heals the daughter. Moreover, from that moment on, he never uses another racist slur that I'm aware of, and his ministry is expanded to include all people from all places. Now, the followers of Jesus continue to fight over who is really a part of Jesus's followers and like what you have to do to be a part of that group. Like people still fight about that today. But from this moment on in scripture, in the gospel of Mark, Jesus preaches, teaches, and acts for the well-being of all people, wherever, whoever, and however they are. What Jesus learns and what we are learning too is that everyone deserves to be cared for and nourished. The literal dogs in our lives may get some crumbs, but the animals we care for deserve their own intentional food, and that's what pet owners and farmers do. Moreover, the earth produces enough food for the world to be fed. It's just not equally distributed. There could be enough clean water for all to drink if pollution and human expansion were managed. There are enough resources to care for the people and creatures of the earth if we could work together and share. Also, there are not limits on God's love and grace. God loving you doesn't mean that God loves me any less. God forgiving me doesn't mean that there is less forgiveness for you. God's grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness are not measured in discrete units. It's not like there are only eight pieces of pie and the ninth person has to lick the plate because there is nothing left for them. God's love is not pie. God's love is abundance. One of the calls that we hear from the Syrophoenician woman and from Jesus is then to do the work of examining our own biases and prejudices about who we think gets a seat at the table. Because the reality is we're all invited. There's enough for everyone. Yet we have been taught racist phrases and perspectives intentionally and unintentionally from many well-meaning and beloved people in our lives. These ideas can influence our words and actions in many ways, including who we think can sit at the table, who should live in our neighborhood, or who we think can be in a place of authority or leadership over us. 
I know this is something that I'm working on all the time. I don't know why. I don't know the entire story or explanation behind it. But I was raised with an offensive phrase about indigenous peoples being a regular part of my discipline that I would receive with my cousins. When we were being loud and rowdy, we were told that we were being wild Indians and that we needed to calm down. The honest truth is that it wasn't until my 20s that I realized how offensive this phrase is and how it perpetuates untrue prejudices against indigenous peoples who have lived here much longer than my ancestors have. Since understanding this, I have spoken with my parents about it, and as a family, we no longer use this phrase. However, it's still one that comes to mind when groups of children are being rowdy around me. I even said it out loud once at a VBS event in a private conversation with one other adult leader. I was mortified. I quickly apologized and corrected myself. Likewise, I've strived to remove other indigenous people's phrases from my dialogue unless I'm literally talking about the thing that they reference. For example, I say hierarchy or staff structure instead of totem pole. I say meeting or huddle instead of powwow. I say crisscross applesauce instead of sitting Indian style. For whatever reason, these are the culturally appropriative, offensive, and or disrespectful phrases that were common in my growing up years. They still come to mind quickly, so I have to do the active work of speaking a different phrase. But this effort is important because words are powerful, and I want my words to show respect, honor, and love. You may have been exposed to other categories of culturally appropriative, offensive, and or disrespectful words. So your work may be different than mine. But we are all, even Jesus, called to this work of removing such language from our speech. I hope you'll spend some time this week reflecting on what phrases you have to learn to replace. Why may have these phrases been common in your childhood and what harm is caused by them? I also invite you to practice how you might have a conversation with someone who uses that phrase around you in the future. How can you be bold in your proclamation of inclusive care like the Syrophoenician woman? Jesus calls us to live life free from the bonds of sin of racism. Jesus comes alongside us as we do the work of processing our racism and striving to act in anti-racist ways. Jesus knows that while a single comment can hurt and even break a relationship, it does not mean that that person is unworthy of grace or incapable of learning. Jesus knows that this work is vulnerable, tender, and heartbreaking. Nevertheless, he calls us to it because the well-being and lives of our BIPOC and LGBTQIA siblings depend on it, as well as anyone else that is in a marginalized community that has words and slurs that are used against them. We'll continue to do this work as an online community, and I hope that you'll do this work in your other communities too. Jesus' love for us is not dependent on our vocabulary. The truth is Jesus will always love us. Yet if we desire to share that love in the world, to spread that love, our words matter. 
So that means sometimes we come to the table to learn about our words and leave from the table better equipped to show love and honor to those we meet. We leave filled with God's grace and hope, ready to shower abundance, not just scatter crumbs, to all people, wherever, whoever, and however they are. for the crumbs. Redeemed and redeeming one, the Syrophoenician woman called out for crumbs, knowing that a little faith, a little hope, a little of your time could save her daughter. You changed your mind and you changed her life. Sometimes it feels like that all I have left is crumbs. Help me to remember that you can do amazing things with the crumbs. But more often than not, there is more than enough. I am just anxious or oblivious about sharing. Open my heart and my mind to lean into your radical love and your abundance. Help me to listen and learn well from those around me so that I can speak and show the love and dignity they deserve as a beloved child of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. All Places Together will have a table at the Virginia Synod Gathering this week in Salem, Virginia. So if you're a Virginia Lutheran and you'll be there, I hope you'll come by and say hello. I'd love to hear how your faith has been impacted by the podcast. And I've got some stickers as well. Hope to see you there. Y'all, don't forget to mark your calendar for Monday, August 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's when we'll gather at the All Places Together Zoom communion table. The details on how to get the link will be shared closer to time. The table is open to anyone who wants to come. We'll share communion for those who want to partake. And if you're a member of another congregation, you're welcome to be with us for that night. And if you want to come and not have communion, that's okay too. No matter what, your seat is ready. I'm ever grateful to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and supporters like you have who have shared regularly and generously with all places together. Your financial contributions enable this podcast to happen and for the radical love of God to spread around the world. If you'd like to make a gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. We know it can be hard to give financially, 
and we celebrate all of the ways that you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with the APT community throughout the week. One of the biggest joys of this past week was seeing folks in their All Places Together t-shirts at family camp at Lutherland. This is a camp in Western Pennsylvania where my parents were at. My dad took lots of pictures of y'all and it made me so happy to see them. I miss being there because of needing to take care of my dog as she recovers from leg surgery, but seeing your faces in the t-shirts meant so much. So if you were at family camp or somewhere else wearing your t-shirt or showing your sticker, thank you. I hope that you take any opportunity to share what APT means to you when folks ask about the shirt or about the sticker too. Until next time, remember that God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.